floats it over the top, bounces into the hands of Scully. Oh, oh great finish. Great finish from Blaine Scully. That should be it. It should be Corner's game. It should be Corner's trophy. It should be Europe for the boys. Champion triumph. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Cardiff Rugby Life podcast. It's been a quite a busy and drama-filled week in Cardiff Rugby land. This week has to be said. There's been uh, off-field incidents involving former players. There's been plenty of new stuff with fixtures coming out. Good and bad news for the pathway. Uh, plus there's big games for Cardiff RFC and Cardiff Rugby coming up this weekend. But we're going to start this episode of the podcast on a wet and windy night in Swansea last Saturday. Beautiful break, Jared Evans, he has support, Lewis Hughes outside him, he's not so invisible after all! Lewis Hughes, a little bit of space, there, he straightens up, doesn't he, shows the inside ball, the Dragons take the dummy, and great pace there. Cardiff suffered a first defeat of the season, then going down 18-14 to the Ospreys at the Swansea.com Stadium on Saturday night, and I mean, the... The story is a, a well-known one now, but it, it was all about handling errors and ill-discipline from the Blue and Blacks. I, think. I don't know what the final stats actually were, but it looks like somewhere around penalties conceded was 18 and handling errors was uh, up about 14 or 15 as well, which you know you can maybe get away with one of those. Particularly, you can just about get away with the handling errors one. But realistically, if either go over 10, then you're in trouble. And if both go over 10, then you've just got no chance to win. I think, in actual fact, it was a miracle that we've come away from that with a losing bonus point. Because I'm not going to say that a better team would have put us away necessarily, but I think if the Ospreys just had a bit more of a killer instinct about them, then they certainly could have got a bonus point win and, and pushed on. They had so many opportunities to kick to the corner and, and get over and probably one of the redeeming features of our game was that our mall defence was actually relatively decent which hasn't always been the case when we go down west so um, if if they were able to to really turn the screw in that area and push over for two or three driving uh, tries then it would have been a totally different outcome but the, fortunately for us the Ospreys were happy to settle with pretty much doing what they had to do to win and that was kicking penalties and then just keeping the game tight elsewhere so um, the for Cardiff the the obvious improvement is to make in, in terms of our handling errors and, and cleaning up our discipline area. But I think there's some wider parts of our game which come into that. I think defensively we're very concentrated on the breakdown, which of course has been our sort of niche for the last three, four, maybe even longer than that, but particularly noticeable the last three or four years where we've been right at the top of turnover stats, not just in the league, but around the world. And I think with perhaps that reputation and teams obviously making sure that they're staffing the attacking breakdown properly and stopping us from uh, winning those turnovers and also changes in referee interpretation and the laws themselves preventing the jackal being quite so prevalent in the game we're obviously not winning as many turnovers this year you know in the first two games of the season we haven't won more than two or three per game which is pretty much average for most teams uh, during the course of the season so what the result of that is, is where we're quite concentrated on the breakdown and we end up getting quite bunched up around that, it stops us getting off the line. We're not making very many dominant hits defensively. We're inviting pressure onto ourselves that way. Um, we're getting caught a bit narrow at times and we're just not exerting any pressure on the opposition in that sense because they've taken away our breakdown threat and then we haven't got any real pressure in terms of line speed or physicality. It's quite easy for the opposition to hold on to the ball get into a position whereby 
either they tempt us offside or quite often what happens is we end up being pinged for not rolling away because of the um, back foot tackles that we're making. We're ending up on the wrong side of the tackle then once it's complete. And you see that quite often with some of our bigger guys who the opposition you know, can be a bit clever and pin them in, but it's our fault for ending up that way in the first place. Whereas if we were making more dominant hits and pushing them back, we would end up on the right side of the tackle. Um, and also with the opposition having the momentum taken away from us. So I think that's something to look at defensively, is that maybe we need to switch our focus away from the breakdown so heavily and focus on, first of all, getting set in the line, getting off the line and trying to put some dominant hits in. That should reduce our ill-discipline. Uh, it leaves it's potentially a team selection issue as well. We perhaps should be reverting back to the two sevens approach so that we have them working in tandem with the jackal and then the rest of the forwards along with assistance from the inside backs then can set up the defensive line. But that's something for, for Dai Young and Richard Hodges, the defence coach, to look at. And then in attack with the handling errors, I, I think we should have... It was a naive performance from us, as I wrote on a piece on the website this week. We should have switched to a kick-heavy game Arguably within the first 20 minutes, but certainly by 35 minutes, we should have uh, been noticing the coaches should have been getting messages on and the senior players on the pitch, particularly Reese Priestland, should have been saying, right, we've got a bit of dominance in the air because Owen Lane and Josh Adams were both better in the air than Luke Morgan and Matt Prothero, their opposite number. Max Nagy, the Ospreys 15, was making his first ever Osprey start and his first appearance at fullback in a professional senior game. Um... And just generally, I thought our kicking game was stronger than theirs. I thought uh, Priestland, obviously, has got a massive boot on him and it was causing the Ospreys all sorts of problems. But we decided not to go with that fully. We, when we did go with it, it worked quite well. The, the only issue was a bit of a bugbear of mine, which has become in, is that when, particularly Owen Lane, but it's not just him in the squad, uh, gets under a high ball, this slapping it back thing really needs to stop. If you're close enough to ch to be able to slap the ball back where it came from, you're close enough to get up and catch the thing. So go up, try and get hold of possession, and then we'll play from there. Because by slapping it back, unless we're going to operate a kick chase system whereby somebody stands 10 yards behind the chaser and waits for a slap back, which we didn't do, eventually Seb Davis slightly mistimes a tackle... Um, as Ospreys run the other way from the slap back and then we can see three points from a position whereby we were dominant in the air so let's start trying to catch the ball for a start and then we should have just ping put them under a lot of pressure in the air we could have played for territory that way it would have uh, created unstructured attacking situations which were our best opportunity I thought on the day to really score and it would have built into our game plan of trying to play a bit at tempo it can be seen as negative i think a kicking game there's obviously been a lot of stuff in the media after the lions tour and south africa's approach to the game over the summer but for us i think if we're kicking positively kicking to compete trying to play with that loose possession or trying to play on the front foot if we're able to win it in the air you know it doesn't have to be a negative way of playing it can just be a smart way of attacking on the night and that's what we lacked we, we didn't play clever rugby we looked quite naive and in the end, we were roundly beaten. You know, we got stuck in this uh, never-ending circle of trying to play rugby on a tough night conditions-wise, spilling the ball, making a handling error, going to a scrum, being pinged at the scrum, and then the Ospreys either kicking into our half or having a shot of goal. And obviously, we know how good Anscombe is off the tee. So, tough one all round. Um, and I don't think Dai Young escaped criticism, I have to say, on the night. I mentioned that the coaches should have been getting messaging on about kicking, and there certainly should have been a message about that at half-time. I also think his substitutions were questionable. I think 
Reese Carey finally got to grips with the referee in and was looking pretty good in that first 10-15 minutes of the second half. You know, he wins two scrum penalties and he plays a key role in the Owen Lane try as he comes round from the open side to the blind side and links the play to Lane to put him over in the corner. Um, and then just as he's sort of settling in there, it's about I think it was about 62 minutes, he got hooked. Domachowski comes on with our hip, they change both the props and suddenly we're back to conceding penalties again. Now, I know that there's... Uh, sort of leftover thing from Dai Young's first spell at the club where he was uh, sort of criticised and um, it was becoming a bit of a joke on the terraces about being able to guess exactly when Dai was going to make subs because they were sort of premeditated but you have to yes there's an element of planning to go into it and yes you have to react to the stats and stuff because the analysis stuff they do is great now but mostly it has to be on feel for the game and I don't think that that carry substitution in particular had any feel for the game at that moment in time so, learning points, I think, all round. Fortunately, it's not it's not like a totally hopeless performance whereby it's unfixable. I think the fixes are actually quite simple. Um, but it is just that question, and it's something I've spoken about before the season started and on this podcast as well, about having a plan B when this new fast-paced attacking game plan does break down. It did on Saturday. It is inevitably going to happen. You know, we play a winter sport and we're trying to play a way that really suits the dry conditions. So it's it's hopefully a learning point for the coaches and the senior players on the pitch. The right Sometimes you just have to say, okay, this isn't working. We're switching to a kick-heavy game. We're going to go from there and see what we can build. Because once we lost all confidence on Saturday, that was pretty much game over and it showed. Good defensive effort this time from Benetton. Boyd has been brilliant for Cardiff. Toby, Ray Lito, he's away, the pass to Harry's, they're going to do it, would you believe it? So to get pretty serious on the podcast for a couple of minutes, and this might become a little bit ranty, um, news came out earlier in this week that Corey Hill had been involved in an incident at the back end of last season when he was still a Cardiff player. Uh, the report states that Hill and two other men, whilst intoxicated late on uh, the second bank holiday weekend in May, uh, attended a house in Rondekun and Taff area and proceeded to bang repeatedly on the door and throw glass bottles at the windows. Uh, inside was a single mother and her two very young children who were absolutely terrified, um, feared for their lives, feared that somebody was trying to break in and, and kill them or didn't know what was going on. I can't imagine the the situation for them and how scared they must have been um, and that mental and physical um, harm has, has continued even to now with the children not feeling safe in their own house which is totally understandable you know it's pretty sickening stuff the news report states that it was actually a case of mistaken identity from the house but doesn't go on to say what hill and the two men's intentions were although the it's allegedly been said uh, subsequently that Hill were, owns a house on the street. Uh, the tenants had not paid rent for three months and uh, Hill was going whilst drunk to try and retrieve that rent, which uh, is also incredibly ridiculous stuff. You know, that Hill thinks that's a correct uh, path to take whilst intoxicated to go and intimidate the tenant of your house into paying, especially during a pandemic and, you know, times are tough for everyone. It's just, I, I honestly can't get my head around it. I thought Kill, Corey Hill was a decent guy, but quite clearly not judging by this um the news report focuses particularly on the police response to it and with accusations that um it was sort of swept under the carpet and the victim was pressurized to take a community resolution order uh, because of hill status as a wales international rugby player which um is 
not so, that's something to be dealt with by them and is being investigated by South Wales Police's Professional Standards Department at the moment. What I particularly want to focus on is is Cardiff and the WIU's response um, because the incident happened on that second bank holiday weekend in May so it would have been uh, Cardiff played Munster away on the Friday night and it was either the Saturday or the Sunday night subsequent to that where it's taken place. Uh, the following weekend then we played Zebra in the final game of uh, the Rainbow Cup on Saturday the 5th of June. Corey Hill started and played 65 minutes in that game. On the Monday the 7th of June then he was uh, selected in Wales's squad for the Summer Internationals. Now obviously between that selection and the Summer Internationals starting, Corey Hill has decided to terminate his contract with Cardiff um, as he was uh, every right to do under the, the terms of it with the pay cuts being imposed. Um, and has subsequently signed for the Yokohama Cannon Eagles in Japan. Um, I'm not going to speculate on whether the incident, as reported in the news this week, and his move to Japan are linked. I don't think that particularly matters, to be honest. But um, what I will say is that Cardiff and the WIU's response so far has been pitiful, if I'm totally honest. The the response, the, the quote from them in the news article basically just said... Um, He's no longer a Cardiff player. It was dealt with at the time, and we can't disclose uh, employment stuff. And I understand that there are, you know, certain legalities and confidentiality and, and just general player privacy stuff that, you know, not everything you can't put every single detail out in the public arena. However, Cardiff as a club, uh, and I particularly want to focus on Cardiff's responses. He is, you know, in a full employee employee of Cardiff Rugby. Um, Cardiff's response needed to be a lot stronger than that. It needed to demonstrate the values of the club and that the values were above results and player reputation particularly against the backdrop of the current focus on male violence against women with the murders of Sarah Everard and Sabina Nessa up in London you know there are young lads who play rugby in our local area or who are supporters of Cardiff and come down to the Arms Park who idolize guys like Corey Hill the guys you know he's he's played a lot of times for Cardiff and the Dragons. He's played a lot of times for Wales. He's captain Wales on a couple of occasions. So he is a well-known figure. And for us to not demonstrate that we strongly uh, have come down on this sort of behaviour from Corey Hill smacks of of real weakness. It doesn't live up to the values of the club, and is just not an example and a reputation that this club wants to have. Now, um, I asked some questions in a blog uh, this week, particularly around, you know, when did the club find out about the Hill incident? Um, how long did the investigation take? Was it still ongoing when he was selected to play against Zebra? Uh, all this sort of thing. I, I was particularly interested in that Zebra selection about whether he was under investigation at the time, whether he hadn't told the club. Um Nothing's been responded to yet, but I have uh, subsequently had sight of some emails that were sent um, sent by the victim to uh, a number of people within Cardiff and WIU um, and responses from Cardiff and the WIU to that. And the timeline, uh, as far as I can see, goes like this. that The incident happened over that bank holiday weekend, the 29th or 30th. Um, the club were informed on the, the following Monday by the victim, an email I've seen, which was quite a tough read, to be honest. It underlines just what sort of ordeal she went through. Um, they responded saying, thank you for making us aware. We hope you're all right, and we will carry out a full investigation. They've then replied on the Wednesday afternoon. So if you have all of Monday, all of Tuesday, all of Wednesday, let's call it three days, probably two and a half, though. But let's let's say three days for benefit of doubt reasons. That inve the investigation is that incident took three days, and 
all that came out of it was that uh, Corey Hill had been warned about his future conduct. He was then selected to play the following weekend. And now that, that to me is absolute shite. I have to say, that is a, a really shit response from the club. It doesn't look like we've taken it seriously at all. We've basically just said, oh, don't do it again, mate. And then, oh, do you want to play on Saturday, by the way? That is not a way to go about this at all. If that, if I had uh, was a dickhead like Corey Hill and decided to do that to somebody's house on a weekend and then my work found out on the Monday, I would expect to be suspended, probably without pay, um, for a number of weeks while the investigation was carried out. I'd be pulled up in front of a, a disciplinary board or a, some sort of panel and I'd probably expect to lose my job, if I'm totally honest. I'd uh, certainly... Um, not be comfortable carrying on with my job and that comes back to Corey Hill heading off to Japan then but I would expect to be punished in some serious terms uh, for that sort of behavior all we've done is is spend two days and he's probably trained on both those days and he's probably been fully paid for that month or well, at least uh, within the pay cuts he's been fully paid anyway um, and he's then played for us on Saturday and been selected for the Welsh national team on Monday we've informed the victim that that's what we've done and then not followed up any sort of communication with her at all that was the last that uh she heard from the club which i don't know it's just it does it's so bad for the, it looks so bad for the club reputationally it says that basically us having our best players available to play for us in um particularly that zebra game was a dead rubber in that rainbow cup and i particularly remember in the week before it advocating somebody like teddy williams playing and we don't need to see people like Corey hill because it was, a, it was a nothing game. We may as well give the youngsters some experience. So if Corey Hill hadn't played, yes, I think the club should have been coming out at the time and saying an incident has happened uh, and we're investigating it and a player has been disciplined. But even if they didn't want to do that, they could have just not selected him. They, he could have been suspended and the, they not reveal that. And it wouldn't have been questioned by anyone, oh, why isn't Corey Hill playing? Because I don't think anybody would have necessarily expected him to play a dead rubber against Zebra. But anyway, you know, going back to the point is that this club should not be putting results or player reputation above the values and the culture with which the club is based on. That is a dreadful example to set for uh, supporters. I think sponsors would be very disappointed to hear about how it's been handled. And particularly for young lads in the area, whether they're wanting to play for Cardiff Blues, whether they're already in the Cardiff Blues system, you know, Jewish Shield level, at school level, you know, age grade level, whatever, or young lads just starting out their career looking up to players like Corey Hill who now think, oh, I can get away with being pissed and going around and smashing people's houses up and, you know, causing harm to young women and, and their young kids around South Wales. That's fine because Corey Hill does it and he just gets told, oh, you know, don't worry about it. Do you want to play on Saturday? It's absolutely dreadful. It's something I'll be following up both privately and publicly with the club and I would expect a response now. I would expect at least a statement from the club saying uh, we dealt with it this way um, at the time and we don't think that's correct and we apologise for that. And they really should be holding a proper internal investigation into how they've dealt with it because it's just not on. Uh, It's dreadful stuff and it brings shame on, on Cardiff Rugby Club. It's a penalty advantage to the Blues. Now then, they can try something here. James Ratty. Little dink forward, Evans is going to defend on the bounce, brilliantly read, beautifully placed, brilliantly read, superbly finished. We're turning to on-field stuff then, and uh, it's been a busy week news-wise for Cardiff Rugby. Um, Heineken Cup fixtures came out with uh, 
some pretty good fixtures to be honest. So the first one is Toulouse at home Saturday one o'clock, and then Harlequins at uh, home away. Sorry, the following weekend is also Saturday one o'clock. Both are live on Channel Four. Then in January we go uh, we're at home to Harlequins on Friday eight o'clock, which would be a cracking occasion under the the Armspark lights. And then we finish uh, Saturday 2 p.m. French time away in Toulouse. So particularly those two home games, Saturday 1 o'clock against Toulouse and then Friday 8 o'clock against Harlequins. You know, fingers crossed for some big crowds and some great atmospheres there because uh, you know two of the best teams in Europe there, uh, champions of the French and English leagues from last season, plus Toulouse obviously reigning Heineken Cup champions, some of the best players in the world coming to the Amherst Park. And if we can get our starting 15 out, then hopefully we can compete with them. That would be fantastic. Um Slightly less good news uh, from the pathway this week. Um, it's going to come out, may have already come out at the time of recording, that Emmanuel Feiwoboso, um, the young Cardiff player who uh, signed a senior contract at just 18 last year, made his debut against the Ospreys in the Rainbow Cup, is likely to leave the club in the coming weeks. Um, the story, as I understand it, is that he went to Clifton College on scholarship and we signed him up uh, on the academy deal there and then offered him a senior contract Um he wanted to study medicine and got the required grades but he was a reserve for a place at Cardiff University and there was no spaces available for him to take as the reserve which meant he couldn't go there um, as a result he has now taken a place at Acton University which is in the West Midlands Birmingham area and uh, it means obviously that as a five-year course it's going to be very difficult for him to play for Cardiff and go to Acton University to study medicine I understand that the club are trying to sort out a situation whereby um, he has a year's loan at Coventry in the English Championship and goes to Acton and then tries to transfer to Cardiff after the first year of his course. But um, I've done some some research and and transferring uh, medical courses is very difficult, pretty much unheard of. Um, so as far as I understand it, I think we are resigned to losing him, which is a great shame because he's clearly an excellent player, you know, fantastic natural athlete, uh, played on the wing, mostly a senior professional rugby so far, but it would be an outside centre long term, very powerful, very quick, reads the game very well, uh, has been part of successful Cardiff under 16, under 18 and Clifton College teams. So to lose him is a big blow. Um, remains to be seen whether he'll drop out from rugby altogether or whether he'll uh, be signed up by somebody like Wasps or Leicester maybe Northampton or Worcester within striking distance for him as well there in Birmingham um, but you know it's not not for everybody to play professional rugby at Cardiff it's not, and it's certainly not for the lack of trying from Cardiff's part to make it work you know it's just circumstances have conspired against them and uh, it doesn't look like it's going to be I understand that uh, the player's family, his his father is a senior eye doctor, I believe, in South Wales, and his family are very much education first and are not interested in his rugby career at all. So, you know, tough times, but different cultures, different different strokes of different folks, I suppose is the saying. Um, tough one for us, but the good the good news on the pathway is that there's been some excellent stuff over the last few weeks. The WIU College League is drawing to a close, um, the Cardiff Pool, this week. And particularly Cardiff and Vale and Colleague Camoyth have, have played some fantastic stuff and they'll go head-to-head -to, -head to decide who wins that next week. Uskol Glantav have, have pushed both teams all the way. They're very close games between Glantav and, and both of them uh, with just sort of 8-10 to 10 points in it. Um, Whitchurch have struggled, but I understand that their team is largely um, year 12, so first year players under 18 level this season, and that hopefully that'll set them up to be a little bit more competitive then. Next season is a good learning curve for them. 
in the step above them at the college league then the buck super rugby has got underway over the last two weeks and we've had uh, cardiff uni start with a win over northumbria cardiff met drew with the reigning champions durham and then they met in the first cardiff clash of the season at the arms park on wednesday night with the met just winning that one so great to see uni a little bit more competitive as i think they were at risk of being relegated in that season pre-covid before it got cancelled and a met continuing to be strong as a team who've been there or thereabouts for the end of season playoffs for a couple of years now now we've had reese barrett playing for cardiff met as a prop uh, mainly off the bench in his first year which uh, he'll you know plenty of good development for him and then uh, Gwilym Evans has been starting on the open side for Cardiff University, who's a very talented player, one to keep an eye on, former Glentarf captain and um, uh, played for uh, Cardiff under-18 a couple of times last season, looked very good. So fingers crossed for them kicking on. Um, and then we move on to Cardiff RFC. Uh, they had a good win up at Evervale last weekend, bonus point win in tough conditions up at Eugene Cross Park. Uh, tries for Will Davis-King, Willem Bradley and Yestin Harris. Uh, great to see all academy guys getting across the line there. And they picked a slightly more experienced team. Uh, you know, a couple of guys with the, the first team experience, particularly up front, and then uh, some some more physical guys in the middle of the park for obviously a, a tough day weather-wise. And it worked very well. So great to get back to winning ways in style after losing to Newport last week, uh, week before that. Sorry. And they play, uh, Rags play Pontypridd on Friday night, obviously one of the biggest games of the season. They've named the team and I'm a little bit disappointed in the sense that you know, we've had a few first team players be parachuted in who haven't been involved with the Rags this season. Max Llewellyn, Scott Andrews, Alid Summerhill. Um, when that's happened previously against Pontypridd, it's been a sort of negative reaction from the squad because I think it comes down to literally, you know, it's Pontypridd's biggest game of the season they'll want to win it and they don't need much more motivation they'll they'll fight for 80 minutes and then with us parachuting first team guys and obviously the better quality players but they perhaps haven't got that fight required to win what is a big derby so hopefully that doesn't come to fruition on friday and, and the rags can still get a, a good win um be a great experience for guys like ethan lloyd starting at nine though theo Avacqua on the loose head as well Gwill and bradley playing back row so uh, big stuff for them and, and good chance for some of those first team guys to get a run out I'd rather them sort of spread that out over the next few weeks rather than all at once but it does also come with a backdrop of there being a lot of injury and unavailability in the semi-professional squad I think 11 of the 22 semi-professionals are either injured or not able to play uh, or haven't been able to train so much over the last few weeks so you know there, there's obviously uh, a backdrop to everything and hopefully we see a bit more consistent selection over the course of the next few weeks then Finishing up the podcast this week then with a quick look at the first team game for this weekend. Obviously that rant about Corey Hills taking the podcast a little bit longer than usual this week. But um, Cardiff host the Bulls on Saturday night. The first South African side we play this season at the Arms Park at 7.35pm kickoff. And I mentioned on the podcast a couple of weeks ago on the preview of the season that I think the South Africans will struggle um, to start the season. And that's certainly been the case for, for all of them and, and the Bulls in particular. They're missing... Obviously, they're Springboks who have been playing in the Rugby Championship down in the Southern Hemisphere. Plus, you know they're, they're away from home in bubbles. They're adapting to Northern Hemisphere rugby and weather conditions in particular. And so they've gone down to Leinster and Connacht uh, in Ireland so far in, in pretty heavy losses. Um, last week against Connacht, obviously the team we beat in round one, they went ahead early on um, and showed glimpses of the fact that you know they do have a big pack and they can move the ball around as well. They're certainly not afraid to throw a bit of a wild offload at times, which can catch an opposition uh, a bit napping. But 
they sh- they also uh, succumbed to the weather conditions and the fact that Connacht now had to play a lot better at the sports ground. And uh, they struggled defensively a lot as well. And I think that's where Cardiff will be looking at um, for this game on Saturday night. So looking at the Cardiff team selection, there's a number of changes. Uh, we have Dimitri Arhip starting ahead of Dylan Lewis at tight head. Uh, it's a bit of change in the back row where Will Boyd replaces Ellis Jenkins, who drops out of the squad altogether on the open side, while Josh Navidi is back at uh, blind side with Josh Turnbull on the bench. In the backs then, Lloyd and Thomas swap again at scrum half. Ben Thomas comes in for Willis Alaholo at inside centre as well. And I think it's that Ben Thomas selection in particular that um, is one to look out for because uh, Connacht had a lot of joy last week by overloading the 12 channel with runners, dragging the balls in uh, outside centre very narrow and then exploiting the space that was left. Um, the Bulls have made a change to their back line this week. Um, the outside centre who started, Lionel Mapoi, is on the bench, and Cornell Hendricks is slotting at 13, obviously a springbok, um, but largely playing either the wing or 12 over the last few years, hasn't played a lot of rugby at 13, so I think there's still opportunities to try and isolate him defensively and, and make him make decisions which can then open up space for us because uh, Connor had joy both inside and outside the 13 where they were pushing and pulling him last week and I think by having that second playmaker in Ben Thomas will open that up. Um, it'll be a big game for Hallam Amos taking up uh, the space where Ray Lilo will try and run out to in lines a lot I think and it'll be a big game for Lane and Adams whichever one is the blindside winger getting across to that open side and overloading the wider channel with an overlap that once we get into that position you know you would back us to score nine times out of ten so I think that's where Cardiff can really look to uh, play hard at the Bulls we we were a bit lateral at times against the Ospreys in our attack probably where our confidence was taking a hit from the handling errors but against the Bulls I think if we play quick to the line in that 10-12 area and then move the ball quickly depending on which way the 13 steps we can get a lot of joy obviously though uh, the Bulls have got a very big pack you know looking at guys like Bismarck Duplessis at hooker uh, Marcel Courtsia will captain them from the blind side as well and and Johan Goosen at 10 is, is a very good player when he's not claiming to be retired to get out of French contracts. So um, they'll they'll certainly challenge us in terms of the kicking game and they'll challenge us physically up front. It's uh, coming back to what I said earlier about the defence, trying to get some dominant hits, getting set up quickly and coming off the line so that we're not conceding too many penalties because if we do end up in that situation again, it could be a bit of a long evening. But I think the weather forecast is kinder to us this weekend. It's, gonna, it's looking quite dry and calm, so hopefully... Handling errors will be cut down and it'll give us a chance to play a bit more. And I think we will be fitter than them as well. I think that's what we've seen a, a couple of times with the South African sides um, so far against Connacht and Leinster looking at the Bulls games. They did run out of steam a little bit towards the end. And we know that against Cheetahs and Kings that we've managed to outrun them uh, over the last few seasons when they've been in the league as well. So um, I think a really strong bench from us. Obviously, Di Young's put Thomas Williams on there. We've got Halaholo, Josh Turnbull as well. Um, mobile replacement front rows um, with Donchowski and uh, Dylan Lewis. So if we can be you know, there or thereabouts for 60 minutes, I think we can run away with it again. And, and realistically, we need to win this game next week against Sharks and the Dragons now with three home games. If we can go into the international break with three wins from that, making it four wins from five altogether, plus the losing bonus point, 
against the Ospreys. That'll be a very good opening fixture block. So starts on Saturday night um, with hopefully a big performance. Get down there if you can. Get down and support the Rags on, on Friday evening as well. If you can't make the first team game, it's live on S4C, so it should be easily accessible for most. Um, next week on the podcast, we'll have a look back on both the games from this weekend. There's two more games again the following week. Hopefully, we'll get some response from the club about the Corey Hill incident uh, and have a look at uh, where we are so far in the season. Until then, come on, Cardiff.